Part 15 of Chance by Joseph Conrad This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 15 Powell had never before felt this mysterious uneasiness so strongly as on that evening when it had been his good fortune to make Mrs. Anthony laugh a little by his artless prattle. Standing out of the way, he had watched his captain walk the weather side of the poop. He took full cognizance of his liking for that inexplicably strange man, and saw him swerve towards the companion, and go down below with sympathetic, if utterly uncomprehending eyes. Shortly afterwards, Mr. Smith came up alone, and manifested a desire for a little conversation. He too, if not so mysterious as the captain, was not very comprehensible to Mr. Powell's uninformed candor. He often favored thus the second officer. His talk alluded somewhat enigmatically, and often without visible connection to Mr. Powell's friendliness towards himself and his daughter. For I am well aware that we have no friends on board this ship, my dear young man, he would add, except yourself. Flora feels that too. And Mr. Powell, flattered and embarrassed, could but emit a vague murmur of protest, for the statement was true in a sense, though the fact was in itself insignificant. The feelings of the ship's company could not possibly matter to the captain's wife and to Mr. Smith, her father. Why the latter should so often allude to it was what surprised our Mr. Powell. This was by no means the first occasion, more like the twentieth, rather, and in his weak voice, with his monotonous intonation, leaning over the rail and looking at the water, the other continued this conversation, or rather his remarks, remarks of such a monstrous nature that Mr. Powell had no option but to accept them for gruesome jesting. For instance, said Mr. Smith, that mate, Franklin, I believe he would just as soon see us both overboard as not. It's not so bad as that, laughed Mr. Powell, feeling uncomfortable, because his mind did not accommodate itself easily to exaggeration of statement. He isn't a bad chap, really, he added, very conscious of Mr. Franklin's offensive manner of which instances were not far to seek. He's such a fool as to be jealous. He has been with the captain for years. It's not for me to say, perhaps, but I think the captain has spoiled all that gang of old servants. They are like a lot of pet old dogs. Wouldn't let anybody come near him if they could help it. I've never seen anything like it. And the second mate, I believe, was like that too. Well, he isn't here, luckily. There would have been one more enemy, said Mr. Smith. There's enough of them without him. And you being here instead of him makes it much more pleasant for my daughter and myself. One feels there may be a friend in need. For really... For a woman all alone on board ship, amongst a lot of unfriendly men. But Mrs. Anthony is not alone, exclaimed Powell. There's you, and there's the... Mr. Smith interrupted him. Nobody's immortal. And there are times when one feels ashamed to live. Such an evening as this, for instance. It was a lovely evening. The colors of a splendid sunset had died out and the breath of a warm breeze seemed to have smoothed out the sea. Away to the south the sheet lightning was like the flashing of an enormous lantern hidden under the horizon. In order to change the conversation, Mr. Powell said, "'Anyway, no one can charge you with being a Jonah, Mr. Smith. We have had a magnificent quick passage so far. The captain ought to be pleased.' and I suppose you are not sorry either. This diversion was not successful. Mr. Smith emitted a sort of bitter chuckle and said, Jonah, 
that's the fellow that was thrown overboard by some sailors it seems to me it's very easy at sea to get rid of a person one does not like the sea does not give up its dead as the earth does you forget the whale sir said young powell mr smith gave a start eh what whale oh jonah i wasn't thinking of jonah i was thinking of this passage which seems so quick to you but only think what it is to me it isn't a life going about the sea like this and for instance if one were to fall ill there isn't a doctor to find out what's the matter with one it's worrying it makes me anxious at times is mrs anthony not feeling well asked powell but mr smith's remark was not meant for mrs anthony she was well he himself was well it was the captain's health that did not seem quite satisfactory had mr powell noticed his appearance mr powell didn't know enough of the captain to judge he couldn't tell but he observed thoughtfully that mr franklin had been saying the same thing and franklin had known the captain for years the mate was quite worried about it this intelligence startled mr smith considerably does he think he is in danger of dying he exclaimed with an animation quite extraordinary for him which horrified mr powell heavens die no don't you alarm yourself sir i've never heard a word about danger from mr franklin well well sighed mr smith and left the poop for the saloon rather abruptly as a matter of fact mr franklin had been on deck for some considerable time he had come to relieve young powell but seeing him engaged in talk with the enemy with one of the enemies at least had kept at a distance which the poop of the ferndale being about seventy feet long he had no difficulty in doing mr powell saw him at the head of the ladder leaning on his elbow melancholy and silent oh here you are sir here i am here i've been ever since six o'clock didn't want to interrupt the pleasant conversation if you like to put in half of your watch below join with a dear friend that's not my affair funny taste though he isn't a bad chap said the impartial powell the mate snorted angrily tapping the deck with his foot then isn't he well give him my love when you come together again for another nice long yarn i say mr franklin i wonder the captain don't take offence at your manners the captain i wish to goodness he would start a row with me then i should know at least i am somebody on board i'd welcome it mr powell i'd rejoice and damn me i would talk back too till i roused him he's a shadow of himself he walks about his ship like a ghost he's fading away right before our eyes but of course you don't see you don't care a hang why should you mr powell did not wait for more he went down on the main deck without taking the mate's jerrymans seriously he put them beside the words of mr smith he had grown already attached to captain anthony there was something not only attractive but compelling in the man only it is very difficult for youth to believe in the menace of death not in the fact itself but in its proximity to a breathing moving talking superior human being showing no sign of disease and mr powell thought that this talk was all nonsense but his curiosity was awakened there was something and at any time some circumstance might occur no he would never find out there was nothing to find out most likely mr powell went to his room where he tried to read a book he had already read a good many times presently a bell rang for the officers supper chapter six a moonless night thick with stars above 
very dark on the water. In the mess-room Powell found Mr. Franklin hacking at a piece of cold salt beef with a table-knife, the mate fiery in the face, and rolling his eyes over that task, explained that the carver belonging to the mess-room could not be found. The steward, present also, complained savagely of the cook. The fellow got things into his galley and then lost them. Mr. Franklin tried to pacify him with mournful firmness. There, there, that will do. We who have been all these years together in the ship have other things to think about than quarrelling among ourselves. Mr. Powell thought with exasperation, here he goes again, for this utterance had nothing cryptic for him. The steward, having withdrawn morosely, he was not surprised to hear the mate strike the usual note. That morning the mizzen topsail tie had carried away, probably a defective link, and something like forty feet of chain and wire rope, mixed up with a few heavy iron blocks, had crashed down from aloft on the poop with a terrifying racket. Did you notice the captain then, Mr. Powell? Did you notice? Powell confessed frankly that he was too scared himself when all that lot of gear came down on deck to notice anything. The gin-block missed his head by an inch, went on the mate impressively. I wasn't three feet from him. And what did he do? Did he shout, or jump, or even look aloft, to see if the yard wasn't coming down, too, about our ears, in a dozen pieces? It's a marvel it didn't. No, he just stopped short. No wonder. He must have felt the wind of that iron gin-block on his face, looked down at it, there, lying close to his foot, and went on again. I believe he didn't even blink. It isn't natural. The man is stupefied. He sighed ridiculously, and Mr. Powell had suppressed a grin when the mate added as if he couldn't contain himself. He will be taking to drink next, mark my words. That's the next thing. Mr. Powell was disgusted. You are so fond of the captain, and yet you don't seem to care what you say about him. I haven't been with him for seven years, but I know he isn't the sort of man that takes to drink. And then, why the devil should he? Why the devil, you ask? Devil, eh? Well, no man is safe from the devil, and that's answer enough for you, wheezed Mr. Franklin, not unkindly. There was a time, a long time ago, when I nearly took to drink myself. What do you say to that? Mr. Powell expressed a polite incredulity. The thick, congested mate seemed on the point of bursting with despondency. That was bad example, though. I was young, and fell into dangerous company, made a fool of myself. Yes, as true as you see me sitting here, drank to forget. Thought is a great dodge. Powell looked at the grotesque Franklin, with awakened interest, and with that half-amused sympathy with which we receive unprovoked confidences from men with whom we have no sort of affinity. And at the same time he began to look upon him most seriously. Experience has its prestige, and the mate continued. If it hadn't been for the old lady, I would have gone to the devil. I remembered her in time. Nothing like having an old lady to look after, to steady a chap, and make him face things. But as bad luck would have it, Captain Anthony had no mother living, not a blessed soul belonging to him, as far as I know. Oh, I, I fancy he said once something to me of a sister. But she's married. She don't need him. Yes. In the old days he used to talk to me as if we had been brothers, exaggerated the mate sentimentally. Franklin, he would say, this ship is my nearest relation, and she isn't likely to turn against me, and I suppose you are the man I've known the longest in the world. 
That's how he used to speak to me. Can I turn my back on him? He has turned his back on his ship. That's what it has come to. He has no one now but his old Franklin. But what's a fellow to do to put things back as they were and should be? Should be, I say. His starting eyes had a terrible fixity. Mr. Powell's irresistible thought, he resembles a boiled lobster in distress, was followed by annoyance. Good Lord, he said, you don't mean to hint that Captain Anthony has fallen into bad company. What is it you want to save him from? I do mean it, affirmed the mate, and the very absurdity of this statement made it impressive, because it seemed so absolutely audacious. Well, you have a cheek, said young Powell, feeling mentally helpless. I have a notion the captain would half kill you if he were to know how you carry on. And welcome, uttered the fervently devoted Franklin. I am willing, if he would only clear the ship afterwards of that. You are but a youngster, and you may go and tell him what you like. Let him knock the stuffing out of this old Franklin first, and think it over afterwards. Anything to pull him together. But of course you wouldn't. You are all right. Only you don't know that things are sometimes different from what they look. There are friendships that are no friendships, and marriages that are no marriages. Foo! Likely to be right, wasn't it? Never a hint to me. I go off on leave, and when I come back, there it is, all over, settled, not a word beforehand, no warning, if only, what do you think of it, Franklin, or anything of the sort? And that's a man who hardly ever did anything without asking my advice. Why, he couldn't take over a new coat from the tailor without. First thing, directly the fellow came on board with some new clothes, whether in London or in China, it would be, pass the word along there for Mr. Franklin. Mr. Franklin wanted in the cabin. In I would go. Just look at my back, Franklin. Fits all right, doesn't it? And I would say, first rate, sir, or whatever was the truth of it. That or anything else. Always the truth of it. Always. And, well, he knew it. And that's why he dared not speak right out. Talking about workmen, alterations, cabins. Phew! Instead of a straightforward, wish me joy, Mr. Franklin. Yes, that was the way to let me know. God only knows what they are. Perhaps she isn't his daughter any more than she is. She doesn't resemble that old fellow. Not a bit, not a bit. It's very awful. You may well open your mouth, young man, but for goodness' sake, you who are mixed up with that lot, keep your eyes and ears open, too, in case, in case of, I don't know what, anything. One wonders what can happen here at sea. Nothing. Yet, when a man is called a jailer behind his back, Mr. Franklin hid his face in his hands for a moment and Powell shut his mouth, which indeed had been open. He slipped out of the mess-room noiselessly. The mate's crazy, he thought. It was his firm conviction. Nevertheless, that evening, he felt his inner tranquillity disturbed at last by the force and obstinacy of this craze. He couldn't dismiss it with the contempt it deserved. Had the word jailer really been pronounced? A strange word for the mate even to imagine he had heard. A senseless, unlikely word. But this word being the only clear and definite statement in these grotesque and dismal ravings was comparatively restful to his mind. Powell's mind rested on it still when he came up at eight o'clock take charge of the deck. It was a moonless night, thick with stars above, very dark on the water. A steady air from the west kept the sails asleep. Franklin mustered both watches in low tones, as if 
for a funeral. Then approaching Powell, the course is east-southeast, said the chief mate distinctly. East-southeast, sir. Everything's set, Mr. Powell. All right, sir. The other lingered. His sentimental eyes gleamed silvery in the shadowy face. A quiet night before us. I don't know that there are any special orders. A settled, quiet night. I dare say you won't see the captain. Once upon a time this was the watch he used to come up and start a chat with either of us then on deck. But now he sits in that infernal stern cabin and mopes. Jailer, eh? Mr. Powell walked away from the mate, and when at some distance said, "'Damn!' quite heartily. It was a confounded nuisance. It had ceased to be funny. That hostile word, jailer, had given the situation an air of reality. Franklin's grotesque mortal envelope had disappeared from the poop to seek its needful repose if only the worried soul would let it rest a while mr powell half sorry for the thick little man wondered whether it would let him for himself he recognized that the charm of a quiet watch on deck when one may let one's thoughts roam in space and time had been spoiled without remedy what shocked him most was the implied aspersion of complicity on mrs anthony it angered him in his own words to me he felt very enthusiastic about mrs anthony enthusiastic is good especially as he couldn't exactly explain to me what he meant by it but he felt enthusiastic he says that silly franklin must have been dreaming that was it. He had dreamt it all. Ass! Yet the injurious word stuck in Powell's mind, with his associated ideas of prisoner, of escape. He became very uncomfortable. And just then, it might have been half an hour or more since he had relieved Franklin, just then Mr. Smith came up on the poop alone like a gliding shadow, and leaned over the rail by his side. Young Powell was affected disagreeably by his presence. He made a movement to go away, but the other began to talk, and Powell remained where he was, as if retained by a mysterious compulsion. The conversation started by Mr. Smith had nothing peculiar. He began to talk of mail-boats in general, and in the end seemed anxious to discover what were the services from Port Elizabeth to London. Mr. Powell did not know for certain, but imagined that there must be communication with England at least twice a month. "'Are you thinking of leaving us, sir? Of going home by steam? Perhaps with Mrs. Anthony?' he asked anxiously. "'No, no. How can I?' Mr. Smith got quite agitated for him, which did not amount to much." He was just asking for the sake of something to talk about. No idea at all of going home. One could not always do what one wanted, and that's why there were moments when one felt ashamed to live. This did not mean that one did not want to live. Oh, no. He spoke with careless slowness, pausing frequently, and in such a low voice that Powell had to strain his hearing to catch the phrases dropped overboard, as it were. And, indeed, they seemed not worth the effort. It was like the aimless talk of a man pursuing a secret train of thought far removed from the idle words we so often utter only to keep in touch with our fellow-beings. An hour passed. It seemed as though Mr. Smith could not make up his mind to go below. He repeated himself. Again he spoke of lives, which one was ashamed of. It was necessary to put up with such lives, as long as there was no way out, no possible issue. He even alluded once more to mailboat services on the east coast of Africa, 
and young powell had to tell him once more that he knew nothing about them every fortnight i thought you said insisted mr smith he stirred seemed to detach himself from the rail with difficulty his long slender figure straightened into stiffness as if hostile to the enveloping soft piece of air and sea and sky emitted into the night a weak murmur which mr powell fancied was the word abominable repeated three times but which passed into the faintly louder declaration the moment has come to go to bed followed by a just audible sigh i sleep very well added mr smith in his restrained tone but it is the moment one opens one's eyes that is horrible at sea these days oh these days i wonder how anybody can i like the life observed mr powell oh you you have only yourself to think of you have made your bed well it's very pleasant to feel that you are friendly to us my daughter has taken quite a liking to you mr powell he murmured good night and glided away rigidly young powell asked himself with some distaste what was the meaning of these utterances his mind had been worried at last into that questioning attitude by no other person than the grotesque franklin suspicion was not natural to him and he took good care to carefully separate in his thoughts mrs anthony from this man of enigmatic words her father presently he observed that the sheen of the two deck deadlights of mr smith's room had gone out the old gentleman had been surprisingly quick in getting into bed shortly afterwards the lamp in the foremost skylight of the saloon was turned out and this was the sign that the steward had taken in the tray and had retired for the night young powell had settled down to the regular officer of the watch tramp in the dense shadow of the world decorated with stars high above his head and on earth only a few gleams of light about the ship the lamp in the after skylight was kept burning through the night there were also the dead lights of the stern cabins glimmering dully in the deck far aft catching his eye when he turned to walk that way the brasses of the wheel glittered too with the dimly lit figure of the man detached as if phosphorescent against the black and spangled background of the horizon young powell in the silence of the ship reinforced by the great silent stillness of the world said to himself that there was something mysterious in such beings as absurd franklin and even in such beings as himself it was a strange and almost improper thought to occur to the officer of the watch of a ship on the high seas on no matter how quiet a night why on earth was he bothering his head why couldn't he dismiss all these people from his mind it was as if the mate had infected him with his own diseased devotion he would not have believed it possible that he should be so foolish but he was clearly he was foolish in a way totally unforeseen by himself pushing this self-analysis further he reflected that the springs of his conduct were just as obscure i may be catching myself any time doing things of which i have no conception he thought and as he was passing near the mizzenmast he perceived a coil of rope left lying on the deck by the oversight of the sweepers by an impulse which had nothing mysterious in it he stooped as he went by with the intention of picking it up and hanging it up on its proper pin this movement brought his head down to the level of the glazed end of the after skylight the lighted skylight of the most private part of the saloon consecrated to the exclusiveness of captain anthony's married life the part let me remind you cut off from the rest of that forbidden space by a pair of heavy curtains i mention these curtains because at this point mr powell himself recalled the existence of that unusual arrangement to my mind 
he recalled them with simple-minded compunction at that distance of time he said you understand that directly i stooped to pick up that coil of running gear the spanker foot outhaul it was i perceived that i could see right into that part of the saloon the curtains were meant to make particularly private do you understand me he insisted i told him that i understood and he proceeded to call my attention to the wonderful linking up of small facts with something of awe left yet after all these years at the precise workmanship of chance fate providence call it what you will for observe marlow he said making at me very round eyes which contrasted funnily with the austere touch of grey on his temples observe my dear fellow that everything depended on the men who cleared up the poop in the evening leaving that coil of rope on the deck and on the topsail tie carrying away in a most incomprehensible and surprising manner earlier in the day and the end of the chain whipping round the combing and shivering to bits the coloured glass pane at the end of the skylight it had the arms of the city of liverpool on it i don't know why unless because the ferndale was registered in liverpool it was very thick plate glass anyhow the upper part got smashed and directly we had attended to things aloft mr franklin had set the carpenter to patch up the damage with some pieces of plain glass i don't know where they got them i think the people who fitted up new bookcases in the captain's room had left some spare panes chips were there the whole afternoon on his knees messing with putty and red lead it wasn't a neat job when it was done not by any means but it would serve to keep the weather out and let the light in clear glass and of course i was not thinking of it i just stooped to pick up that rope and found my head within three inches of that clear glass and dash it all i found myself out not half an hour before i was saying to myself that it was impossible to tell what was in people's heads or at the back of their talk or what they were likely to be up to and here i found myself up to as low a trick as you can well think of for after i had stooped there i remained prying spying anyway looking where i had no business to look not consciously at first maybe he who has eyes you know nothing can stop him from seeing things as long as there are things to see in front of him what i saw at first was the end of the table and the tray clamped on to it a patent tray for sea use fitted with holders for a couple of decanters water jug and glasses the glitter of these things caught my eye first but what i saw next was the captain down there alone as far as i could see and i could see pretty well the whole of that part up to the cottage piano dark against the satinwood panelling of the bulkhead and i remained looking i did and i don't know that i was ashamed of myself either then it was the fault of that franklin always talking of the man making free with him to that extent that really he seemed to have become our property his and mine in a way it's funny but one had that feeling about captain anthony to watch him was not so much worse than listening to franklin talking him over well it's no use making excuses for what's inexcusable i watched but i dare say you know that there could have been nothing inimical in this low behaviour of mine on the contrary i'll tell you now what he was doing he was helping himself out of a decanter i saw every movement and i said to myself mockingly as though jeering at franklin in my thoughts hello here's the captain taking to drink at last he poured a little brandy or whatever it was into a long glass filled it with water drank about a fourth of it and stood the glass back into the holder every sign of a bad drinking bout 
I was saying to myself, feeling quite amused at the notions of that Franklin. He seemed to me an enormous ass, with his jealousy and his fears. At that rate, a month would not have been enough for anybody to get drunk. The captain sat down in one of the swivel armchairs fixed around the table. I had him right under me, and as he turned the chair slightly, I was looking, I may say, down his back. He took another little sip, and then reached for a book which was lying on the table. I had not noticed it before. Altogether the proceedings of a desperate drunkard, weren't they? He opened the book and held it before his face. If this was the way he took to drink, then I needn't worry. He was in no danger from that, and as to any other, I assure you no human being could have looked safer than he did down there. I felt the greatest contempt for Franklin just then, while I looked at Captain Anthony sitting there with a glass of weak brandy and water at his elbow, and reading in the cabin of his ship on a quiet night, the quietest, perhaps the finest, of a prosperous passage. And if you wonder why I didn't leave off my ugly spying, I will tell you how it was. Captain Anthony was a great reader just about that time, and I, too, I have a great liking for books. To this day I can't come near a book, but I must know what it is about. It was a thickish volume he had there. Small, close print, double columns, I can see it now. What I wanted to make out was the title at the top of the page. I have very good eyes, but he wasn't holding it conveniently. I mean for me up there. Well, it was a history of some kind, that much I read, and then suddenly he bangs the book face down on the table, jumps up as if something had bitten him, and walks away aft. Funny thing, shame is. I had been behaving badly, and aware of it in a way but I didn't feel really ashamed till the fright of being found out in my honourable occupation drove me from it. I slunk away to the forward end of the poop and lounged about there, my face and ears burning, and glad it was dark night, expecting every moment to hear the captain's footsteps behind me, for I made sure he was coming on deck. Presently I thought I had rather meet him face to face, and walked slowly aft, prepared to see him emerge from the companion before I got that far. I even thought of his having detected me by some means, but it was impossible, unless he had eyes in the top of his head. I had never had a view of his face down there. It was impossible. I was safe, and I felt very mean yet, explain it as you may, I seemed not to care, and the captain not appearing on deck, I had the impulse to go on being mean. I wanted another peep. I really don't know what was the beastly influence, except that Mr. Franklin's talk was enough to demoralize any man by raising a sort of unhealthy curiosity, which did away in my case with all the restraints of common decency. I did not mean to run the risk of being caught, squatting in a suspicious attitude by the captain. There was also the helmsman to consider. So what I did, I am surprised at my low cunning, was to sit down naturally on the skylight seat, and then by bending forward, I found that, as I expected, I could look down through the upper part of the end pane. The worst that could happen to me then, if I remained too long in that position, was to be suspected by the seamen aft at the wheel of having gone to sleep there. For the rest, my ears would give me sufficient warning of any movements in the companion. But in that way my angle of view was changed. The field, too, was smaller. The end of the table, the tray, and the swivel chair I had right under my eyes. The captain had not come back yet. The piano I could not see now. But on the other hand, I had a very oblique downward view of the curtains 
drawn across the cabin and cutting off the forward part of it just about the level of the skylight end and only an inch or so from the end of the table they were heavy stuff travelling on a thick brass rod with some contrivance to keep the rings from sliding to and fro when the ship rolled but just then the ship was as still almost as a model shut up in a glass case while the curtains joined closely and perhaps on purpose made a little too long moved no more than a solid wall marlow got up to get another cigar the night was getting on to what i may call its deepest hour the hour most favourable to evil purposes of men's hate despair or greed to whatever can whisper into their ears the unlawful counsels of protest against things that are the hour of ill-omened silence and chill and stagnation the hour when the criminal plies his trade and the victim of sleeplessness reaches the lowest depth of dreadful discouragement the hour before the first sight of dawn i know it because while marlow was crossing the room i looked at the clock on the mantelpiece he however never looked that way though it is possible that he too was aware of the passage of time he sat down heavily our friend powell he began again was very anxious that i should understand the topography of that cabin i was interested more by its moral atmosphere that tension of falsehood of desperate acting which tainted the pure sea atmosphere into which the magnanimous anthony had carried off his conquest and well his self-conquest too trying to act at the same time like a beast of prey a pure spirit and the most generous of men too big an order clearly because he was nothing of a monster but just a common mortal a little more self-willed and self-confident than most maybe both in his roughness and in his delicacy as to the delicacy of mr powell's proceedings i'll say nothing he found a sort of depraved excitement in watching an unconscious man and such an attractive and mysterious man as captain anthony at that he wanted another peep at him he surmised that the captain must come back soon because of the glass two-thirds full and also of the book put down so brusquely god knows what sudden pang had made anthony jump up so i am convinced he used reading as an opiate against the pain of his magnanimity which like all abnormal growths was gnawing at his healthy substance with cruel persistence perhaps he had rushed into his cabin simply to groan freely in absolute and delicate secrecy at any rate he tarried there and young powell would have grown weary and compunctious at last if it had not become manifest to him that he had not been alone in the highly incorrect occupation of watching the movements of captain anthony powell explained to me that no sound did or perhaps could reach him from the saloon the first sign and we must remember that he was using his eyes for all they were worth was an unaccountable movement of the curtain it was wavy and very slight just perceptible in fact to the sharpened faculties of a secret watcher for it can't be denied that our wits are much more alert when engaged in wrongdoing in which one mustn't be found out than in a righteous occupation he became suspicious with no one and nothing definite in his mind he was suspicious of the curtain itself and observed it it looked very innocent then just as he was ready to put it down to a trick of imagination he saw trembling movements where the two curtains joined yes somebody else besides himself had been watching captain anthony he owns artlessly that this roused his indignation it was really too much of a good thing in this state of intense antagonism he was startled to observe 
tips of fingers fumbling with the dark stuff then they had grasped the edge of the further curtain and hung on there just fingers and knuckles and nothing else it made an abominable sight he was looking at it with unaccountable repulsion when a hand came into view a short puffy old freckled hand projecting into the lamplight followed by a white wrist an arm in a grey coat-sleeve up to the elbow beyond the elbow extended tremblingly towards the tray its appearance was weird and nauseous fantastic and silly but instead of grabbing the bottle as powell expected this hand tremulous with senile eagerness swerved to the glass rested on its edge for a moment or so it looked from above and went back with a jerk the gripping fingers of the other hand vanished at the same time and young powell staring at the motionless curtains could indulge for a moment the notion that he had been dreaming but that notion did not last long powell after repressing his first impulse to spring for the companion and hammer at the captain's door took steps to have himself relieved by the boatswain he was in a state of distraction as to his feelings and yet lucid as to his mind he remained on the skylight so as to keep his eye on the tray still the captain did not appear in the saloon if he had said mr powell i knew what to do i would have put my elbow through the pane instantly crash i asked him why it was the quickest dodge for getting him away from that tray he explained my throat was so dry that i didn't know if i could shout loud enough and this was not a case for shouting either the boatswain sleepy and disgusted arriving on the poop found the second officer doubled up over the end of the skylight in a pose which might have been that of severe pain and his voice was so changed that the man though naturally vexed at being turned out made no comment on the plea of sudden indisposition which young powell put forward the rapidity with which the sick man got off the poop must have astonished the boatswain but powell at the moment he opened the door leading into the saloon from the quarter-deck had managed to control his agitation he entered swiftly but without noise and found himself in the dark part of the saloon the strong sheen of the lamp on the other side of the curtains visible only above the rod on which they ran the door of mr smith's cabin was in that dark part he passed by it assuring himself by the quick side glance that it was imperfectly closed yes he said to me the old man must have been watching through the crack of that i am certain but it was not for me that he was watching and listening horrible surely he must have been startled to hear and see somebody he did not expect he could not possibly guess why i was coming in but i suppose he must have been concerned concerned indeed he must have been thunderstruck appalled powell's only distinct aim was to remove the suspected tumbler he had no other plan no other intention no other thought do away with it in some manner snatch it up and run out with it you know that complete mastery of one fixed idea not a reasonable but an emotional mastery a sort of concentrated exaltation under its empire men rush blindly through fire and water and opposing violence and nothing can stop them unless sometimes a grain of sand for his blind purpose and clearly the thought of mrs anthony was at the bottom of it mr powell had plenty of time what checked him at the crucial moment was the familiar harmless aspect of common things the steady light the open book on the table the solitude the peace the homelike effect of the place he held the glass in his hand all he had to do was to vanish back beyond the curtains flee with it noiselessly into the night on deck fling it unseen overboard 
a minute or less, and then all that would have happened would have been the wonder at the utter disappearance of a glass tumbler, a ridiculous riddle in pantry affairs beyond the wit of anyone on board to solve. The grain of sand against which Powell stumbled in his headlong career was a moment of incredulity as to the truth of his own conviction, because it had failed to affect the safe aspect of familiar things. He doubted his eyes, too. He must have dreamt it all. I am dreaming now, he said to himself, and very likely for a few seconds. He must have looked like a man in a trance, or profoundly asleep on his feet, and with a glass of brandy and water in his hand. What woke him up, and at the same time fixed his feet immovably to the spot, was a voice asking him what he was doing there, in tones of thunder. Or so it sounded to his ears. Anthony, opening the door of his stern cabin, had naturally exclaimed, "'What else could you expect?' And the exclamation must have been fairly loud, if you consider the nature of the sight which met his eye. There before him stood his second officer, a seemingly decent, well-bred young man, who, being on duty, had left the deck and had sneaked into the saloon, apparently for the inexpressibly mean purpose of drinking up what was left of his captain's brandy and water. There he was, caught absolutely with the glass in his hand. But the very monstrosity of appearances silenced Anthony after the first exclamation, and young Powell felt himself pierced through and through by the overshadowed glance of his captain. Anthony advanced quietly. The first impulse of Mr. Powell, when discovered, had been to dash the glass on the deck. He was in a sort of panic. But deep down within him his wits were working, and the idea that if he did that he could prove nothing, and that the story he had to tell was completely incredible, restrained him. The captain came forward slowly, with his eyes now close to his. Powell, spellbound, numb all over, managed to lift one finger to the deck above, mumbling the explanatory words, Bosun on the poop. The captain moved his head slightly, as much as to say, That's all right, and this was all. Powell had no voice, no strength. The air was unbreathable, thick, sticky, odious, like hot jelly in which all movements become difficult. He raised the glass a little, with immense difficulty, and moved his trammelled lips sufficiently to form the words, doctored. Anthony glanced at it for an instant, only for an instant, and again fastened his eyes on the face of his second mate. Powell added a fervent, I believe, and put the glass down on the tray. The captain's glance followed the movement and returned sternly to his face. The young man pointed a finger once more upwards, and squeezed out of his iron-bound throat six consecutive words of further explanation. Through the skylight, the white pane. The captain raised his eyebrows very much at this, while young Powell, ashamed but desperate, nodded insistently several times. He meant to say that, yes, yes, he had done that thing. He had been spying. The captain's gaze became thoughtful, and now the confession was over. The iron-bound feeling of Powell's throat passed away, giving place to a general anxiety, which from his breast seemed to extend to all the limbs and organs of his body. His legs trembled a little, his vision was confused, his mind became blankly expectant, but he was alert enough. At a movement of Anthony he screamed in a strangled whisper, "'Don't, sir, don't touch it!' The captain pushed aside Powell's extended arm, took up the glass, and raised it slowly against the lamplight. The liquid of very pale amber colour was clear, and by a glance the captain seemed to call Powell's attention to the fact. Powell tried to pronounce the word dissolved but he only thought of it with great energy. 
which however failed to move his lips only when anthony had put down the glass and turned to him he recovered such a complete command of his voice that he could keep it down to a hurried forcible whisper a whisper that shook him doctored i swear it i have seen doctored i have seen not a feature of the captain's face moved his was a calm to take one's breath away it did so to young powell then for the first time anthony made himself heard to the point you did who was it and powell gasped freely at last a hand he whispered fearfully a hand and the arm only the arm like that he advanced his own slow stealthily tremulous in faithful reproduction the tips of two fingers and the thumb pressed together and hovering above the glass for an instant then the swift jerk back after the deed like that he repeated growing excited from behind this he grasped the curtain and glaring at the silent anthony flung it back disclosing the forepart of the saloon there was no one to be seen powell had not expected to see anybody but he said to me i knew very well there was an ear listening and an eye glued to the crack of a cabin door awful thought and that door was in that part of the saloon remaining in the shadow of the other half of the curtain i pointed at it and i suppose that old man inside saw me pointing the captain had a wonderful self-command you couldn't have guessed anything from his face well it was perhaps more thoughtful than usual and indeed this was something to think about but i couldn't think steadily my brain would give a sort of jerk and then go dead again i had lost all notion of time and i might have been looking at the captain for days and months for all i knew before i heard him whisper to me fiercely not a word this jerked me out of that trance i was in and i said no no i didn't mean even you i wanted to explain my conduct my intentions but i read in his eyes that he understood me and i was only too glad to leave off and there we were looking at each other dumb brought up short by the question what next i thought captain anthony was a man of iron till i saw him suddenly fling his head to the right and to the left fiercely like a wild animal at bay not knowing which way to break out truly commented marlow brought to bay was not a bad comparison a better one than powell was aware of at that moment the appearance of flora could not but bring the tension to a breaking point she came out in all innocence but not without vague dread anthony's exclamation at first singing powell had reached her in her cabin where it seems she was brushing her hair she had heard the very words what are you doing here and the unwanted loudness of the voice his voice breaking the habitual stillness of that hour would have startled a person having much less reason to be constantly apprehensive than the captive of anthony's masterful generosity she had no means to guess to whom the question was addressed and it echoed in her heart as anthony's voice always did followed complete silence she waited anxious expectant till she could stand the strain no longer and with the weary mental appeal of the overburdened my god what is it now she opened the door of her room and looked into the saloon her first glance fell on powell for a moment seeing only the second officer with anthony she felt relieved and made as if to draw back but her sharpened perception detected something suspicious in their attitudes and she came forward slowly i was the first to see mrs anthony related powell because i was facing aft the captain noticing my eyes looked quickly over his shoulder and at once put his finger to his lips to caution me as if i were likely to let out anything before her mrs anthony had on a dressing-gown of 
some grey stuff with red facings, and a thick red cord round her waist. Her hair was down. She looked a child, a pale-faced child, with big blue eyes, and a red mouth, a little opening, showing a glimmer of white teeth. The light fell strongly on her as she came up to the end of the table. A strange child, though. She hardly affected one like a child, I remember. Do you know, exclaimed Mr. Powell, who clearly must have been, like any seaman, an industrious reader, do you know what she looked like to me, with those big eyes and something appealing in her whole expression? She looked like a forsaken elf. Captain Anthony had moved towards her, to keep her away from my end of the table, where the tray was. I had never seen them so near to each other before, and it made a great contrast. It was wonderful, for, with his beard cut to a point, his swarthy, sunburnt complexion, thin nose, and his lean head, there was something African, something Moorish in Captain Anthony. His neck was bare. He had taken off his coat and collar, and had drawn on his sleeping jacket in the time that he had been absent from the saloon. I seem to see him now, Mrs. Anthony, too. She looked from him to me. I suppose I looked guilty or frightened, and from me to him, trying to guess what there was between us two. Then she burst out with a, What has happened? which seemed addressed to me. I mumbled nothing, nothing, ma'am, which she very likely did not hear. You must not think that all this has lasted a long time. She had taken fright at our behavior, and turned to the captain pitifully. What is it you are concealing from me? A straight question, eh? I don't know what answer the captain would have made. Before he could even raise his eyes to her, she cried out, Ah, here's Papa, in a sharp tone of relief. But directly afterwards, she looked to me as if she were holding her breath with apprehension. I was so interested in her that, how shall I say it, her exclamation made no connection in my brain at first. I also noticed that she had sidled up a little nearer to Captain Anthony, before it occurred to me to turn my head. I can tell you my neck stiffened in the twisted position from the shock of actually seeing that old man. He had dared. I suppose you think I ought to have looked upon him as mad, but I couldn't. It would have been certainly easier, but I could not. You should have seen him. First of all, he was completely dressed, with his very cap still on his head just as when he left me on deck two hours before, saying in his soft voice, The moment has come to go to bed, while he meant to go and do that thing and hide in his dark cabin and watch the stuff do its work. A cold shudder ran down my back. He had his hands in the pockets of his jacket. His arms were pressed close to his thin upright body and he shuffled across the cabin with his short steps. There was a red patch on each of his old soft cheeks, as if somebody had been pinching them. He drooped his head a little, and looked with a sort of underhand expectation at the captain and Mrs. Anthony standing close together at the other end of the saloon, the calculating horrible impudence of it. His daughter was there, and I am certain he had seen the captain putting his finger on his lips to warn me. And then he had coolly come out. He passed my imagination, I assure you. After that one shiver his presence killed every faculty in me, wonder, horror, indignation. I felt nothing in particular, just as if he were still the old gentleman, who used to talk to me familiarly each day on deck. Would you believe it? Mr. Powell challenged my powers of wonder at this internal phenomenon, went on Marlowe, after a slight pause. But even if they had not been fully engaged, together with all my powers of attention in following the facts of the case, I would not have been astonished by his statements about himself. Taking into consideration his youth, they were by no means incredible. 
or at any rate they were the least incredible part of the whole they were also the least interesting part the interest was elsewhere and there of course all he could do was to look at the surface the inwardness of what was passing before his eyes was hidden from him who had looked on more imperturbably than from me who at a distance of years was listening to his words what presently happened at this crisis in flora de barral's fate was beyond his power of comment seemed in a sense natural and his own presence on the scene was so strangely motivated that it was left for me to marvel alone at this young man a completely chance comer having brought it about on that night each situation created either by folly or wisdom has its psychological moment the behaviour of young powell with its mixture of boyish impulses combined with instinctive prudence had not created it i can't say that but had discovered it to the very people involved what would have happened if he had made a noise about his discovery but he didn't his head was full of mrs anthony and he behaved with a discretion beyond his years some nice children often do and surely it is not from reflection they have their own inspirations young powell's inspiration consisted in being enthusiastic about mrs anthony enthusiastic is really good and he was amongst them like a child sensitive impressionable plastic but unable to find for himself any sort of comment i don't know how much mine may be worth but i believe that just then the tension of the false situation was at its highest of all the forms offered to us by life it is the one demanding a couple to realize it fully which is the most imperative pairing off is the fate of mankind and if two beings thrown together mutually attracted resist the necessity fail in understanding and voluntarily stop short of the the embrace in the noblest meaning of the word then they are committing a sin against life the call of which is simple perhaps sacred and the punishment of it is an invasion of complexity a tormenting forcibly tortuous involution of feelings the deepest form of suffering from which indeed something significant may come at last which may be criminal or heroic may be madness or wisdom or even a straight if despairing decision end of part fifteen